This is Passing for Normal, conversations with artists, activists, and awakeners about how they are seeding change in the world. I'm your host, Sharon Weil, and here I speak with fascinating, innovative change makers. We talk about how to make change, meet change, and how to find the courage to create change in your life and with those around you. Bringing new ideas into the mainstream, that's Passing for Normal. Hello and welcome to Passing for Normal, where my guest today is the inspiring author, speaker, and citizen activist, Paul Rogat Loeb. And we're going to be talking about the 2018 midterm elections and how specifically college voters might just turn the whole thing around. For many years, Paul Loeb has been an active voice in calling citizens to participate in all levels of civic engagement. His books, Soul of a Citizen, a classic handbook for social activists, organizers, and anyone who wants to make a difference, and his anthology of political hope, The Impossible Will Take a Little While, Perseverance and Hope in Troubled Times, are books that encourage and instruct with stories and strategies that can sustain us in our attempts in creating a more just world. He has founded the Campus Election Engagement Project, a national nonpartisan project that helps America's colleges and universities motivate their 20 million students to register, volunteer in campaigns, educate themselves, and turn out at the polls. Now engaging students for the 2018 election, welcome, Paul. Very glad to be here. I'm very glad to be speaking to you. You know, we spoke, we've spoken before on this podcast, and I just want to say how your contributions to understanding and motivating social change and activism has been tremendous. Um, well, you, thanks. Yes, and you are all about engagement. You're all about participating in elections and participating in deciding policy and speaking out and taking action. And in doing so, um, countering powerlessness and hopelessness and despair with focused action. And so now your efforts are focused on engaging students to take part in the election process. So how did this come about for you? Well, in 2008, um, of course, there was this huge wave of interest in, in uh, young people in the election. And I was in a situation where because of the books that i written, because of Soul of a Citizen and um, the impossible will take a little while. The, I was lecturing at lots of college campuses, and I was speaking at higher education conferences and just you know, knew a lot of different people. And it seemed to me that it was just so important for get, to get students to vote. And then I realized that schools could do so much. Now, a school can't take a political, or certainly a public university, cannot take a political stand and say sure. candidate X is the good candidate and candidate Y is the bad candidate, you know, that, that just isn't appropriate. But what they can do, and what is completely appropriate and actually in some cases legally required by the Higher Ed Authorization Act, is they can register their students to vote. They're actually required to make a, quote, good faith effort. Mm -hmm. They can give them information on how to vote, how to navigate voting laws that have become much more challenging in recent years. They can give them information on candidates. And there's a ton of stuff they can do. And it just struck me that, well, why aren't they doing that? And, and what if you tried to sort of systematize approaches that made sense? And so I basically got, tried to get the 
some of the big higher education associations to get involved. And, and I said, well, you know, I'd be really happy to help uh, if you wanted to take the lead. And nobody, nobody stepped up. I, <laughs> I, was, I was very frustrated. I, I really was like, look, this is really important. They're like, oh, that's well, important, but it's summer and not much happens over <laughs> summer. And, and I, I got all these, I mean, I have to say many of them were what I would call lame excuses. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, this is the way humans are <laughs> and bureaucracies are and all the rest. And if you said, look, we can't take the lead, but we would gladly partner with, you know, if somebody else did. And that was and that was very helpful. And so I finally ended up talking with Bill McKibben, the environmental writer, had made a transition from being one of the leading writers on climate change to founding a group called Step It Up that later became called 350.org mm-hmm. for the yes. amount of the, the parts per million of um, carbon in the atmosphere. And I knew him, and I sort of, I just gave him a call, and I said, well, you know, here's the situation. I can't get, can't get folks to participate, to, to these organizations to do it. I wonder if, I mean, should I actually try and do it? This is not something I've had experience doing. And, and he said, well, you know, I certainly made that kind of transition, and I think if you really want to have it happen, and if you can't get the groups to do it, and it needs to be done, then you're going to have to just do it yourself and see what happens. And so I, I well, I don't know what I, whether I'm grateful for that advice, <laughs> or I... <laughs> <laughs> or it's like yeah. he owes me big time, uh-huh. but um, that really was sort of that was sort of a pivotal point. I thought, well, I guess I will have to do it, and I'd I'd certainly, as I think we talked earlier, I mean, I've spent done a lot of I don't want to call it sort of informal consulting with major groups working on social change over the years, but but never kind of running something day to day, and so basically uh, I just sort of stepped in. Um, started talking. I knew some people who had helped fund the promotion and distribution of my books and sort of started with them in terms of money and got partnered. There's a network called Campus Compact that has, they do service learning with the schools, so they, they have compacts in about, oh, I don't know, roughly 25, 30 states. And, uh, and I'd spoken at some of their regional conferences and knew some of their people and ended up uh, working for some complicated reasons, with the state compacts. And one of their directors said, look, you know, I'm happy to be a fiscal sponsor. And another said, you know, I'll help in every way I can. And there was a lot of, in, there was a lot of, where the national, well, it, was a pretty, it was a pretty stark contrast, to be honest. The national groups were all just making excuses, pretty much. And these state compacts, the ones I talked to, were just tremendously enthusiastic even though they had mm, far less resources mm-hmm, yeah. and sort of really wanted to, to carry the ball. And so had they not been so enthusiastic, I probably would have just dropped the project. Um, but I, I basically decided that, um, I mean, there was one point where one of the groups had turned me down and I was just like, I was sort of ticking off the groups and there was a sort of nobody left, you know, nobody left other than sort of faint idea of these low, sort of statewide groups and I remember I'd seen some, I don't know, it was like a martial arts movie where, where the person would always say, there's always a way out. And, so, and of course, he, you know, he always found a way out. And I remember walking around my block thinking, well, there's always a way out, but I can't think of the way out. I'm going to have to walk some more. And then I did. And, and uh, so, the, so, so basically we ended up launching by working through these state campus compacts and, 
getting using them as partners because what was nice is that they had exist I had some relationships with schools but they had far more systematic and ongoing relationships and so instead of coming in like knocking on the door cold and saying oh we're going to tell you what to do which generally doesn't fly we at least were able to knock on the door through a trusted ally and partner who they already knew and then say well we're going to tell you what to do <laughs> and what do you think and we didn't really know whether or not schools would respond i mean whether they would just sort of tell us to go away but but they they decided that the things we were suggesting were all pretty sensible and and so they started implementing some of our project, approaches and and so that was this 2008 pilot and then i went away and thought well you know the schools have done it now they know how to do it and of course if you're dealing with big bureaucracies that is simply not the way it works and so in 2010 the student well and youth both um, turnout was just absolutely dismal, and most folks stayed home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you know, I, and I realized that. Well, wait a moment. The schools didn't. It didn't automatically continue. Certainly not in one round. And so, instead, uh, you know, what I did then in 2012 is to relaunch the project. And we've been this campus election engagement project is its name, and we've been going ongoing ever since. And we sort of, as I describe it, each cycle we would take on different kinds of approaches. So initially we were just, we were about presidential elections. And then we realized, well, those state elections are awfully important as well. And so we did a pilot in 2013 in Virginia. And it was interesting because we, um, and we had no way of knowing this, but they had a incredibly close 165 vote attorney general's race mm. and we did uh, for the one of the first things that we launched in 2013 were what we call student fellows who basically were students who we gave thousand dollar stipends to help carry out the approach on the ground so essentially what happens is we work with the schools and we have the schools do the heavy lifting and so the schools basically they help the students register to vote, navigate the voting laws, educate themselves on the issues, and get out to vote in the polls. And the whole model is based on using their resources and getting that huge multiplier effect as opposed to, say, coming in with paid canvassers. And so it's, you know, it, it, there's a lot of institutional weight that happens. But at the same time, if you look at the people we're usually working with, what might be a service learning center or a vice president of student affairs or the head of residence life, they're all very overloaded. Mm -hmm. And so if you can, in addition to their multiplier effect, have some energetic students on the ground who work with them. Um, This is literally, as we're talking, I'm working on the the training for these fellows. Um, Then we call them election engagement fellows. And they can then carry out the approaches on the ground. And it's a really nice complement to the efforts of the administrators, faculty, and staff. And so we piloted that in 2013. And one of our student fellows at Virginia Tech 
ended up registering 3,000 voters, which is just a staggeringly, mm, not, not single-handedly, they, we have them do volunteer teams. Yes. So she and her, the team she recruited yeah. registered 3,000 voters, and the attorney general's race, as mentioned, ended up being 165 votes, and most of the these on-campus students happened to go for the winner. And, and so uh, basically it was an example of the power of student voices and student volunteers and, and student fellows and everything else that highlighted just the difference it can make. That's incredible. Um, how many, yeah, how really many campuses um, are you involved in? Well, it varies cycle to cycle. And so if you take the last presidential cycle, which will be somewhat similar to what we're working in in 18, we worked with about 300 schools. And I think it was I think they are concentrated in 15 or 16 states. Our map's a little bit broader this time, mm-hmm. um, maybe about 20 states, but it'll be somewhere in the neighborhood of, of 300 schools. And I think they had a combined enrollment of 3.5 million students. So it's, you know, it's a lot of folks. And then at the same time, I mean, when, when we say we worked with, meaning we had staff actively engaging in conversations and coaching them and sending them materials. And then at the same time, we also make our resources available to basically anybody else who you know is interested. Mm-hmm. And so, with different partners in states where we're not working, we've, re- we've figured out that we reached about another thousand schools. But we don't really know. I mean, they got our materials, but whether they did anything with them, hard to know. But I remember one example where I was, was at a, a conference, and there was a presentation by University of um, Central Oklahoma. Central Oklahoma, I think it was, um, and on election engagement. And so I sat in on it, and I was like, boy, this sure seems a lot like our model. And I went up after and said, well, do you know about Campus Election Engagement Project? And they said, oh, sure. Well, we, we got your materials. And, and <laughs> so we, did, we took them. We thought they were great. We took them and run with it, ran with Fantastic. them. And so, yeah, it was great. Yeah. So it was an example of, you know, we weren't directly working with them, but nonetheless, we facilitated they're really doing, you know, what was, what was a terrific job. Um, so, so that's an example of the sort of secondary ripples. So the kinds of materials that you're talking about um, that you send out and are being worked with um, are these um, nonpartisan uh, voter guides, right? Well, that's part of it. So there's, sort of, there's two different kinds of materials. So, so some, of it are, some of the materials we create are very sort of practical guides to how to engage a campus. So mm-hmm. how do you register voters at, student voters at, at orientation? We got Penn State to do that for mm-hmm. the first time this last year. So we have a guide that goes through it. How do you hold a debate watch party? How do you work with your student newspaper? Um, how do you, mm-hmm. you know, if they, how do you give, we've had schools that have basically used academic credit or student government funding for the fellows. How do, how do you make that happen? So we have a whole yeah. series of guides on how, I mean, we have one of our schools partnered with a public housing project to register voters. How do you do that for your community? So a whole series of very practical guides. And then the, the other guides that you mentioned um, are what we call nonpartisan candidate guides. And the way that that emerges basically from the schools. So they were, I guess like 2012, and they said, you know, our students, like, they don't really know who to vote for. Then they're confused about where the candidates stand. And could you 
create some guides that give them a sense where candidates stand. So we're not telling them who to vote for. We're saying where do we, you know, where do they stand on, you know, well, we go alphabetical, so it's, uh, you know, abortion, climate change, gay marriage, guns, tax policies, student financial aid, if that's relevant, health care, uh, you know, foreign policy. We, we, you know, obviously yeah. it varies yeah. if it's a state governor's race will be different from a Senate race um, or more localized race, but but basically taking the major highlights. Sometimes it's very, I remember there was one of the governor's races in Virginia was really specific. It was like, should the Silver Line Metro be extended to whatever yeah. the, you know, the next county is? Because that was the big issue. Um, so so they, they vary, but what we found is when we created these guides and um, just if you've really gotten great responses from the schools, we do annual surveys, and they never come up less than an eight on a ten-point scale. And what's interesting to me is this: that the students' response is that they it fills in a critical gap, and it's sort of how to describe it. it. We had thought that they would be useful to help them decide who to vote for, but then it also turned out that they've made a significant difference in whether to vote. Uh-huh. So the, the, the examples that I that I often give is. This is actually in 2013, and I was at a school in Winona State in Minnesota, one of the branch campuses, and they gave me a math class, and that was kind of challenging because my last math had been high school geometry and it had been a very long time, and, and so um, that was just, I didn't know what to say, so I just said, well, did you vote? And Minnesota has some of the maybe the best voting laws in the country. You mm-hmm. can do same-day voting registration. You know, there's not onerous voter ID laws. And, you know, they have fair and accurate elections, even sometimes when they're really close. And and so half the students hadn't voted, roughly. And I said, well, why not? Now, it's, it's true that STEM majors tend to vote at lower rates. Um, and I said, they said, well, we don't know who's running. We don't really know where they stand. Everybody's lying. Everybody's mm-hmm. spinning. They all have handlers. You can't trust any of them. So we just don't want to vote for the wrong person. And then somebody said, well, but if there was a guy, if there's a list where you could see where they stood, that, that would make a difference. And, and so I said, well, you know, actually we, we do that. We just didn't happen to work in Minnesota this last year because um, we tend to work in states where with limited resources, if we have the students vote, have the most impact, so it tends to be the closer races, although not entirely. And so it was a really good hypothetical affirmation of our approach. I mean, sort of said, if you had a guide that did this, then we would vote. And that was encouraging. But what was even more encouraging then is the next day where we were in Wisconsin, where we actually had been very involved and had created candidate guides for them distributed the Obama-Romney guide, but also one for the, the race that then ended up electing Senator Tammy Baldwin over, I can't remember the first name, Thompson was the, her opponent, her former, I think a former governor. And, and basically, this class at a, the school in Wisconsin, all of them had voted. Mm-hmm. And I was really stunned. I was like, this is really amazing. This is what we want to have happen. What, what made the difference? It was about, I think it was a 4,000-person Catholic school. And they said, well, there were these guides in our mailbox, and you could see where mm-hmm. candidates stood. And they were like, yeah, it made a huge difference because you could see, 
you know, we didn't know their stands, but this way you could see. And I was babbling a cold and was a little spacey, and I thought, oh, that's great. It must be the lacrosse paper. And then the prof said, Paul, those are your guides. <laughs> you sent them out to Wisconsin <laughs> Campus Compact, which was our partner. Yeah. They sent them on to to us. We thought they were really well done and fair, and we printed 4,000 copies, and we put them in everybody's mailbox. And it just was so affirming because it really did say that not only does it make a difference in their deciding who, but but also it gets them that past that barrier that says, I just don't know enough. So, and, and I think that's really important. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people don't vote because they say, well, there really is no difference between these candidates. Right. Right. And, and, and we, yeah, when we get that a lot, they're all the same. Well, mm-hmm. actually, they're not the same. I mean, right. when you go down any of these lists, there are significant differences. I mean, there are some stands where here's candidate A and B, and they have the exact same stand, and that's fine. But if you, you know, we have, I can't remember what it is, 25, 30 questions. And if you go down that list, you will see real and significant differences down the line. And I think it's a good antidote to that cynicism that says they're all the same. And the sort of coupled with it is this phrase that we, we heard a lot, which is, my vote doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. And they mean it in several ways. They mean it, my vote doesn't matter because they're all the same. My vote doesn't matter because it's only one vote, and, you know, as opposed to the people who supposedly have two votes or three, but they don't really <laughs> exist. And, you know, my vote, and, and basically, and, you know, or my vote doesn't matter because elections don't matter. So we, we actually have these posters that say my vote matters, or your vote matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they basically are saying, A, there are real and significant differences, B, if you do vote, it can be entirely close. And we've, we actually have some resources. Just We did a little animation on close elections. And, I mean, well, but we had this actually year. We were working in Virginia and felt proud to be part of the doubling of the youth vote in the last eight years. Yeah, um, from when we weren't working to where, you know, when we started working four years ago and this year as well. And there was an election that decided control of the state house of half the legislature, and it was decided by a coin flip. And, um, you know, the students, I mean, on the one hand, we felt like, well, we were glad we were working with those schools. And on the other hand, maybe it would have been nice if one more student had voted on one, more, on one side or the other at some of the schools that we were working with in that district that because then it wouldn't have been decided by a coin flip because uh, it was an exact tie. Yeah. I mean, like after all the recounts, it was still a tie. So, yeah. you know, we, we try and convey to them that you really don't know how close something is going to be. Yeah. So, and and that, that ultimately that should be empowering, particularly in midterms where when you have a relatively low turnout election uh, compared to the presidential years, mm-hmm. it actually means your vote counts more than it does in a presidential year because fewer people are, are going to the polls. Right. So are you um, focusing on uh, college students um, because they've never voted before and you want to help scoop them into the election process? Or is it that uh, younger people have a particularly higher rate of not voting? I think it's both. And I think those in some ways, I think the two are related. Mm-hmm. So 
So the vote, the older you are, the more likely you are to vote. And it's also true that if you vote when you're young, you're, it's like your place on the chart gets higher from, from then on. Mm-hmm. So if you vote, like if you vote several times when you're young, basically the, the rule seems to be three straight elections, sort of maybe not, the, maybe not the city council election, but at least the midterm, and, you know, so two midterms and a, and a presidential year or two presidentials and a midterm. So that if you vote when you're young, you're going to end up voting more likely throughout your life. So it's it's a chance to impact people, really, you know, at the point that they're sort of setting their patterns, and it's also a point to impact them when the default pattern is much lower participation than than older adults. So so it really is both. And then the third the third element, of course, is just that there we can do this multiplier effect because they are all gathered together, and because the schools have effective and efficient ways of reaching them which it's not that other constituencies aren't important, because they are, but we can just get, like if we look at some of the costs per registration, um, which we only have, we're still continually improving how we gather our data, and so only about a third of our schools responded. But basically we were getting registrations at, oh, what was it, about, oh, we spent a little under 700,000 and we got 80,000 people. So it's, about you know eight dollars a vote if you assume that that if some of the other answers had come in then we're down to four or five dollars a vote and we see efforts that are thirty dollars forty dollars fifty dollars you know so it's 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 less efficient because they're having to track people down and they're not able to use the resources of the schools the way we are and it's not again it's not as if those other efforts aren't important because they are but it's just that there's we we're in a particular slot to capture some particular efficiencies that occur because everybody is gathered together and the schools have ways of reaching them with their resources. So so I think that's also part of why we're do, why we're doing it is just it makes so much sense. Right, and um, you know, I mean, college is a place of learning, right, and of excitement, and, called, and yeah. I mean, you know, it's like you're you hope to be, uh, you know, awakened to wanting to participate. And so can you talk a little bit more about the cynicism or about this belief, you know, that, that people have that, that their vote really doesn't matter or, you know, whether, and but, it's on both sides, right? It's on Yeah, both yeah, parties. and I think, it's, I think it's hard because what happens is it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. So people say, for instance, well, look, it's all bought and paid for, and you're like, look at the big donors and the money involved and, you know, what, what difference am I going to make up against all of that? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's certainly, you know, there's certainly some truths in that. I mean, there's truths in that, that the money determines far too much in our political system and it can swamp individual, you know, dotes. And then, you know, you add on things like, you know, these, manufactured stories floating around that were just simply not true right. and people and especially, and I would say that in isolation people are much more susceptible to that than if they're part of a community where they can actually say wait a moment that's not true that mm-hmm. actually didn't happen yeah, right. there is a difference right. you know there's a difference between opinions on policy should taxes be increased or not and 
did something happen or didn't it happen? And so, you know, one of the dangerous aspects of this era is that we're, we're in territory where people, there's just a lot of folks who are getting information that is simply not true. Yes, and right. I would argue that the antidote to that in part is to have robust communities where people can actually talk stuff through and sort things through, whatever their particular beliefs. Um, and so that's right, and that's, an exchange you know, that, of beliefs, an exchange, an exchange of, of beliefs. Yeah, not yeah. just you, this side thinks this, and you're only talking to the right. people that you who share the same beliefs as you, but an exchange, an exchange of beliefs, an exchange of the experiences that led toward those beliefs. I mean, that stuff is really, really valuable, uh, and you know, it's something that we always try and promote because uh, and, and it fits really well with 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 campuses. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I think the ability to sort of set a pattern of participation and actually informed participation, to me that just really, really, it, it, it's, it's so important. Yeah. So I'm going to ask you a question here. You know, given that you are, you know, spending every waking moment, I think, you know, on this project. Some of the non-waking moments, too. <laughs> non-waking moments on this project. But, I, you know, because you know that I'm, I'm talk to people about change and about adapting to change, and that's, that's right. my interest. Um, I want to ask you, to what extent do you think that politics is a driving force of change? You mean electoral politics? Electoral politics, because, you, you know, you're spending so much time asking, right. you know, trying to engage people in electoral politics. And so I want to know, to what extent do you think that electoral politics is a, is a driving force of change? I think it has to be one of the driving forces. Mm-hmm. And certainly, I mean, part of the problem is that there's this huge tradition, you know, tradition, but also certainly a lot of young voters where they're, they will go out on a march for something they believe in. They'll sign a petition, they'll boycott a company, and then they won't vote. Mm-hmm. And, and this goes back to the cynicism we were talking about a few minutes ago. And what they don't, I mean, to me, the metaphor I use is like a carpenter's toolbox. You know, you need your saw, your drill, your hammer, and they work together. And if you start trying to hammer nails in with your saw, things are going to get ugly really pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. just not going to work well. Mm-hmm. So you want to be able to recognize that certainly non-electoral organizing is extremely important. If I look at Soul of a Citizen, an awful lot of the books is about people doing things that weren't directly involved in, in, in electoral politics. Right. But at the same time, the consequences of... I mean, whatever one thinks of the last election, presidential election, I don't think, you know, nobody can say, oh, it was inconsequential. Nobody, I don't think anybody with a shred of sanity could say, oh, they were just the same. The candidates were just the same. The consequences would have just been the same. Because they weren't. They were very dramatically different versions of America. And that's, maybe it's maybe less dramatic if you're talking about a governor's race or a congressional race or a city council race you know a city council race maybe it's maybe you know you have a particular political climate in your city so the people will all lean in one direction or another but you're still going to have very significant decisions on you know, okay are you going to have you know pay for this sports stadium with public funding are you going to give you know subsidies to developers where can people develop how much can they build 
what do you do about the cost of affordability? Um, these are the, the concerns of my city in Seattle does. Will you fund trans, public transportation? And how do you juggle the competing interests? I mean, all this is yes. huge, huge consequences. And so if you abdicate that sphere, you basically, what are you turning it over to? You're turning it over, it goes back to the cynicism, you're turning it over to the most cynical interests that are in it basically for what they can get. Right. For, you know, dialing you pay to play. And okay, I'm gonna give it to this politician and they're gonna do the push the the bills that I want and everything's gonna be very good for me, but it may not be so good for the community, for the public good. And so I just I don't see a way around around trying to make social change that excludes electoral politics. It's, it's got to be part of it. Mm-hmm. And then ideally what happens is you get a bunch of people who, you know, they're outraged about something, and um, the, the work that they do spills over to an election, but is also larger than an election. I mean, you know, we'll, as we, you know, we're talking shortly after the the massacre at the Par- Parkland High-, yeah. High School in Parkland in Florida. And, you know, we don't really know what's going to come of those, um, those young voices. Um, but, you know, some people have said, well, because, you know, when they slaught- you know, killed the ch- children at- slaughtered the children at Sandy Hook, the four- or five-year-olds didn't have that same kind of voice, although their parents spoke out. And maybe these, you know, maybe these high school students will have a voice that influences the direction of, the conversation around gun laws. I mean, I think it's, you know, obviously too early to know that, but part of that conversation will be candidates saying, okay, yes. these right. are the stands I took, and do they make sense or don't they make sense, and am I addressing it sufficiently or not, and, yeah. you know, and, and people are going to argue it out. But So I think there's a relationship between the, the non-electoral conversations and actions and marches and whatever it happens to be, and this is true on both political sides, and, uh, you know, it's the Tea Party organizing initially, well, at town meetings that are about electoral officials, and then organizing at the ballot box. Right, right. And so what about, you know, students who are um, now registering in states where they're attending college, but it's not their home state, and what about their relationship to the local issues if they're voting in local elections? Well, this is, you know, it's an ongoing challenge, and students, at least for now, have an absolute right guaranteed by the Supreme Court to register where they choose. So they have a decision, if they're going to school in a state away from home, then they have uh, a decision of where to register. Now, let's remember that the, the largest group of students probably who are facing that decision are people who are, I don't know if it's the largest, but it's certainly a large group, who are in the same state, but they're just going to a school away from home. Okay, yeah. Um, you know, so, so the, both categories apply. And to me, I mean, personally, we don't mandate it, but we actually do encourage students to vote where they're going to school for a couple of reasons. One is just that it's much easier to get everybody to vote if you can say, here are your four precincts where you vote, and if you live in this dorm you go to here, and if you live right off campus, you go here, then to try and get people the information on the voting rules for absentee balance for every single state, although we still do 
try and facilitate that for people who want to make that choice. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just easier logistically to try and, and, and you can also vote in some sense, not even just logistically, it's also culturally you can say we are going, I mean, where they have early voting or where they have voting stations on campus or near campus, something we we also work for, um, we can have a parade to the polls. And, you know, that means that people are going to be um, marching together. I mean, one of our iconic pictures is Banner. It happens to be a historically black university, Fayetteville State, and they're holding Your Vote Matters banner as they're marching to the polls. And so it's visible, and if they're all just filling out an envelope and sticking it in the mail, that's a lot less visible. Right. Um, so so, so that's, that's my preference for that kind of, you know, locally focused. And then, you know, it's true, yeah, they may not be there forever, but they're here now, and they can learn, I mean, they can learn about the community. And sometimes, I, mean, I remember there was this, it was James Madison University in Virginia, there was, I think he was a student government leader, but he asked at one point, this faculty member jokingly said to him, well, you know, if you ever run for office, I'll be your campaign manager. So he called her bluff and mm-hmm. ran for city council. And at one point, somebody was talking to her and said, "Is I forget his name, isn't that nice? He's going to learn so much from this. <laughs> it's going to be a great experience. And she said, you know, I, I'm sure he is going to learn a lot first, but I don't think he's just thinking of this as a great experience. I think he's intending to win. And in fact, he did. And then they have their particular, it's a, not a huge community, their structure for mayor is that the mayor gets elected by the council. And so, you know, I think it was four years later, he's the mayor. <laughs> yeah. Right, 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 right. And as you said also, you know, you're hoping to um, instill a pattern of voting, a pattern of interest. Right, exactly. And so you may start yeah. out registered in voting in um, the college where you're attending right now, but you take those, you take those um, awarenesses with you, right? Wherever you happen to be. And yeah. I, think, I think it is really, it is about, I mean, because people are mobile in this, in this you know, day and age, yes, uh, especially very. younger people. So, so it is about taking it with you to where, you know, wherever you happen to land. Yeah. So, Paul, I could talk to you forever. <laughs> I wish it's I fun. I wish we had, uh, you know, that much time. But before we end, I would like you please to tell our listeners how they can find out more about um, about the uh, campus election engagement project, about you, about how they can um, find it perhaps on their campus or bring it to their campus. So if you could talk to us about that. Sure. So our, our website is, I mean, if you put in campus election engagement project into Google, you'll get there pretty easily. If you want to go direct, it's campuselect.org. And we have all you know, you go there and you see all these different resources for how to read, help student, students register, or educate themselves, get out the vote. Um, and we've got it pretty well systematized. We also have a tab uh, called Donate. And, um, very we, important, you know, very we, important tab. Very, very important tab because our whole model, basically, we're asking a lot of the schools. And we made a strategic decision whether we try and charge them for the resources we give them, which cost money to create, and for the time of our staffers. And we've decided not to, and it's, I think it's been the right choice, because what it means is, you know, they've got stretched budgets, stretched time, and we come in and say, we're asking you to do some things, but we're going to make it easier for you. 
Now, some of those things involve, you know, they are using student government or administrative funding to fund fellows. But essentially, they're multiplying our efforts, which are there to begin with. So all of that, every, basically everything we do runs on the tax-deductible donations that the, our supporters give us. And then that allows it all to happen. Um, and, and, you know, I've watched the project grow over the years. Yes. So, so that's, you know, the, it's the best place to, I mean, it, you know, if you're in, this, in terms of wanting to do something, you happen to be near a campus, what I would say is if you, um, we have a list of our staff so you can see which states they're working in. If you're in a state that, you know, you actually happen to say be on a campus, uh, and the state they're working on, just email our state director and say, hey, we'd like to help. But otherwise, do the self-guided nature tour if you happen to be at a school. And, you know, all our materials are there to be downloaded, to be used. And, you know, if you want to let us know that, hey, something happened at a school because of some of our materials, well, that always makes us happy. <laughs> yes, well, I, uh, I think what you're doing is incredible, and it's an enormous networked effort. Um, I think it, it's just absolutely amazing, and I do I do want to encourage people to donate to your project and to um, lend themselves. You maybe not, maybe they're not going to college anymore, but they certainly can um, can help in this in this effort to get more people engaged in um, in our political process and in helping to shape the uh, our country into absolutely uh, where they want it to be. So, Paul, thank you so much. And oh, my pleasure. And uh, good luck to all of you. It's going to yes. be a big yeah. year. And if they want to check out the books, it's Soul of a Citizen, or the actually the easiest one is the Impossible.org. It's the shortest URL, and that's my whole separate world. <laughs> yes, well, these books are so inspiring and so helpful and so instructive as to you know how to get involved and why, and you know articulating our hesitancy to get involved and the remedies to get involved. So um, you're an amazing resource, and uh, I praise your tireless energy, and, um, oh, and thank thanks. you so much. Oh, my pleasure. This has been Passing for Normal, conversations about change. To find out more about author Sharon Weil, go to SharonWeilAuthor.com. You can also find out more about the Changeability books and about all the guests featured in this podcast at that website large or small, go out today and make a brave change. Whether creating something new or responding to a changing world, navigating change is the new stability.